well hmm. we have an entire year of tennis to recap yeah match by match yeah uh, I would <laughs> match by match. <laughs> yeah let me let me open up my tennis tragic journal on Thursday January 7 2021 Sam Quarry defeated Mackenzie McDonald 6-3-6-4 Sebastian Corda defeated Sin Wee Kwan 6-4-6-4 My memory, my memory is definitely that good, yeah <laughs> Yeah, I was like looking through my notes Not even my Tennis Tragic Journal And trying to remember shit that happened at the Australian Open And it was a very long time ago I don't know how I don't know if you guys share my feeling on this, but the tennis season is definitely too long. In fact, I don't even really think there is a tennis season anymore. Like there was this exhibition in Abu Dhabi. Did you see that Andy Murray beat Rafa this week? Yeah. Yeah. Like they can't stop. They can't stop. And it's kind of obnoxious. Like I need a break. I know. I don't know how they do it. How do you keep yourself in peak form all year and never have to give yourself a break to just let loose and eat rubbish and just have a really stupid holiday of booze and whatever and just, you know, nothing. You can't even, I mean, they probably do try to fit that in here and there, but like, how do, you can't bounce back from that that quickly and you got to stay at peak all year round. It's wild. Yeah. It's totally inhuman. And so it makes sense that like people would choose to opt out of parts of the year. I like I've noticed that a bunch of people are opting out of Australia, um, probably partially because of the vaccine mandate. But I guess now there's some kind of workaround for that. They've got like a panel of doctors who will tell you if it's okay for you to come. Oh, uh, yeah. You can get an exemption. So that's a pathway for Novak to come. Yeah. The Djokovic exemption. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I, I don't know. Have you guys been watching recently? I've been watching. I haven't. I, I didn't watch the Abu Dhabi ex exhibition because I've cut down to like the sport aggregate streamer only and they didn't pick up that one for some reason. So I missed that one. Yeah. Did you watch it? No, I haven't. Like, I tried to watch the Davis Cup twice. And for some reason, like in the US, the rights were held by CBS, but it wasn't actually on CBS. But the website oh. said it was on CBS Sports Network. But then I turned that on and it was like F1 or something. Uh. I was like, what the fuck, guys? It's like, oh, get the streaming app. I open the streaming uh. app. It's something else. I'm like, all right, I give up. I, this, is, this needs to be zero friction. Also, like, I don't know, Davis Cup being where it is after the year-end finals, I was just like, I can't. I can't follow this realistically. I mean. Yeah, that's sort of how I felt. Seems finals should be the final, you know? That totally. should be the end. <laughs> yeah. And then to have this big international tournament, country-based thing where they're supposed to, it's supposed to, you know, they frame it as the World Cup of Tennis or whatever. It's just weird time. Yeah, totally. It's it's capitalism. Yeah, it's capitalism. And then the ATP Cup, like, kind of stole the Dav Davis Cup's lunch a little bit. Yeah. Because at, at the ATP Cup, at least you're getting people fresh, sort of. Like, they've had their three weeks holiday or something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, but Davis Cup to be after the men's final and like after yeah. the last Masters. It's just, it's just silliness. It doesn't make any sense. Mm. And they're both men's only tournaments, which, you know, like is still dragging us further away from, I think what most people, well, it's what I want is to not have any segregation, just have the tournaments together. 
with all the tours together. I can't say I was like the world's biggest fan of the old Davis Cup format. Like I'm not, I guess I just don't go back far enough to have that really deep uh, connection to it. Although I've seen Davis Cup in Austin, I've seen Davis Cup in Melbourne. Like it's pretty cool when it comes to your town and that traveling vibe is lost now. Yeah. Um, it was, it was definitely imperfect, but it, it had a really cool differentiating thing going on. And yeah. now it's just like, I don't know, it's just another round robin and doesn't feel like it's, it's supposed to feel more special. It definitely doesn't. And that's, that's a shame. Yeah. I think it would only feel more special if Spain went all the way to the final, like if the host country went all the way to the final and the crowd was super one-sided and that would, that would be good. But if that doesn't right. happen, then you've just got a whole stadium of neutrals and it's like, eh. <laughs> Yeah, I guess they were talking about moving that to Abu Dhabi as well, right? There's some kind of like political shitstorm around that because yeah, classically like people who will pay for this this prestige event, but like no, there's no players from there, so there's no home atmosphere. They would have to fly yeah. people in. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's the almighty dollar at work corrupting, you know, corrupting our entertainment. Yeah. You know that um film Borg versus McEnroe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And goes, you know, back to, it looks at McEnroe and Borg's rivalry at the, at Wimbledon in 1983, something, 79. Yeah, somewhere around there. Somewhere between 79 and 83. When we were young. And yeah, there's a scene in there where Borg is quite young and um, he gets selected for the Swedish Davis Cup team, which is a huge honor. And they're like, oh, but he's going to have to play Oni Parrot, who is a reasonably good player for New Zealand. And it's like such a big deal getting the team tracksuit and having to travel to another country right. with your teammates. So I think that's something that's cool about Davis Cup. Although I, you know, I'm not a nationalist, but the fact you get team jackets and you get, you're in a team environment and you, and then, and you travel together to other countries around the world, it's a big adventure. Yeah, but the new one also, another problem with the new one is it's like horribly Eurocentric. In a way, I almost think that the Abu Dhabi reaction is just another expression of that. Like, oh, this is really a European sport. Like other places don't really get to have it. But the cool thing with the old Davis Cup is that the final could be anywhere. It could be in Buenos Aires. It could be in, it yeah. could be in Australia. It could be in Belgium. It's always in a different place. And that, that kind of gives it that flavor and excitement. But mm. And it's the World Cup, like Indonesia or Vietnam or, you know, Fiji potentially have, has a pathway. They play like group four qualifiers and, you know, if you do right. well enough, you make your way up. I wonder if the new Davis Cup still has those pathways for really low ranked teams. I think it does. I think like, yeah, outside of the top, like the, the teams that automatically qualify, there is still kind of like this world stage thing. So there still are you know, home and away ties like earlier in the year. Earlier They're just the so year, far yeah. under the radar because it's like the, the scrappier countries trying to, to find their way in or whatever. Um, and you, you do, you get these like breakthrough players in the team environment. Like, I guess this guy, this is his name, Boyo from Croatia, like kind of had a break, oh, breakthrough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Didn't he have the same name as, as Borna Charic? It was like something Charic. We had one of the same names as, Bornegoyo, maybe? Bornegoyo. It started with a B, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Anyway, I, it would be nice to get back into it. I hope uh, 
I hope you and the baby are able to take some time watching some tennis in January. Al, that'd be nice. Yeah. Put him to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I think that'll, I think that'll be, that'll be able to happen. I'm taking a, like two months in total off at the, at ah, the start. So great. I'll be around. Yeah. I sort of wish I'll be able to watch the Australian Open and stuff, but I wish that at that time the tennis was in Europe. So I, I could watch it in the middle of the night and really early in the morning, you know? Right. But I'll still watch what I can. Yeah. It's hard for me to even visualize like what the time differences actually mean. You know, it's like, I think when, well, I guess it's like right now. So the Australian Open's good for me because it kind of starts, the play starts in my evening, which is awesome. So it's like, up, oh, I'm done with work, flip on the telly, watch, watch Australian Open for like seven hours. Yeah. Um, and I, I might miss the night sessions or whatever, but um, I'm able to follow it really nicely. Whereas Europe is harder because it's like, it starts really, really early here in the morning. So I'll make the sacrifice for the French or Wimbledon or some of the, you know, some of the big events. But uh, yeah. like these recent ones, I was just like, ah, uh, not that excited about the Paris indoors. I'm not excited enough to like change my schedule for it. You know, that's the bar that has to be crossed. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's sort of the same a little bit. Um, they start at like 11 p.m. sometimes, something like that. But then it gets later into the tournament and it's just finals and it, you sort of have to watch it in the morning, um, which is why it would be perfect if it was baby right. time. If we were true tennis tragics and we had the resources to do it, we could organize our whole lives around you know, wherever the tennis was and just like <laughs> leap during the day and then have breakfast at nighttime and you, you know, to fully get into the mode. Yeah. Are you saying we're, we're not true tennis tragics? Like we're, we're sort of like fake tennis tragics. Well, yeah, we, we do well for periods of time. I think the scouting report on us <laughs> would be like potential uh, uh, exhibits signs of true tragedy, but, um, <laughs> Right. It also has jobs. <laughs> yeah. Too yeah. many jobs and, and responsibilities. Yeah, it's true. It's like, I mean, you guys all listen. We all listen to the tennis podcast now, and it's like the, the commitment, the level of commitment is insane. I mean, but it is, it is literally their job. So yeah. through yeah. that lens, it seems less crazy, but still it takes, clearly takes over their lives. They, they yeah. don't seem like people who can do anything else. And that's one of the problems with tennis. It's just so all-consuming. Um, I mean, COVID has definitely given me more opportunity to kind of just like lock myself at home and sort of adjust my schedule. I mean, I often do take vacation time based on when the slams are. I mean, that's, it is, it's that significant in my life, but you know, can't, can't guarantee that I'm going to book in every 500 event, you know, <laughs> where's the line? The South American clay swing might get missed, you know? <laughs> What do you guys, uh, do you have any great memories from this year? Is it all muddy? Where do, what do you remember from the year of tennis? It's fairly muddy. I think watching Novak realize that he's not getting the Golden Slam during the final at the US Open is something that I'm going to remember pretty heavily. I mm. think just that, almost like the acceptance and just realization that it's gone. This I was so close and now it's gone. That was pretty brutal. It's interesting that that's your takeaway instead of uh, Novak beating Rafa at Roland Garros, which to me, 
maybe it's because I'm not quite as strongly attached to Novak, but like, you know, in that dynamic, in that rivalry, to see Novak finally get the better of Rafa when it really, really mattered was just awesome and just an incredible tennis match. So that's that's one that stays with me. That's true. And that match was incredible as well. It wasn't it wasn't like Rafa didn't show up. You know, like in the Australian Open final where Medvedev just didn't show up and Novak won. It was like, eh, that was a pretty sh- shitty match anyway. But that yep. semifinal in Roland Garros was amazing. <laughs> like, just I had my mouth open for most of it. Just like, what is this tennis? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That was a great memory. Yeah. And like, Rafa hasn't, you know, sort of faded and got injured towards the end of the year. But that was a good memory of him being a bit older and still we were sort of wondering whether he'd still have it, but he was, he played, he, you know, he lost some matches, he lost to Novak, but he, he, when he competed well, he was, he was full rougher, you know, it was like, it was great to see him play as good as he's ever played almost, you know, at times. Yeah. I think in a way I've almost missed him lately. Like, I think mm. one of the reasons I've tuned out lately is it's like, these tournaments feel like they're always shaken down to Medvedev, Zverev, and then, you know, maybe Rublev, Tsitsipas kind of faded late. You know, it just, I, I'm less excited about the kind of end of tournament matchups. Mm. And Rafa, at least he gives, because he's my villain, he gives me that like, oh, I really just want somebody to take him down kind of investment. And uh, I'm going to miss him a lot when he's gone. So... You know, without Novak playing all the events uh, late in the year, without obviously Roger's been been off the scene for long enough to almost be an afterthought. It's like on the men's side is a little bit less less interest for me at the top right now. I hope hopefully somebody comes and scrambles it. Yeah, it's true. There's no one. It's like no one along the way. Well, there are people, but there's no one really of the of the highest level along the way in tournaments now like sometimes it feels like they've started a video game and they skip straight to trying to fight the boss at the end rather than going through all the levels you know <laughs> like it just only gets serious when you get to the semi sometimes when it, when it gets down to Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Novak and there's like four there whereas like the semis generally and you know without Rafa that blocks seems to fill up with those four people every time there's no disruptor there's no other like Otherwise, you know, in the quarters, that challenge would be on if Rafa was around or, you know what I mean? Like it would happen earlier yeah. on where there's a serious challenge, but now it's, yeah, it sort of congregates all those five, four or five congregate at the end quite often. Yeah. We were hoping that it would be more open in the men's scene and it, it may ultimately be that way, but it seems like it's kind of top heavy. And mm. I think Med- Medvedev will be number one this year, I, f- I mm. feel. Um, and... I don't know, Zverev might win a slam soon, you know, ushering in the the actual first age of darkness. Uh, can we beep out Zverev's name every time? <laughs> uh, we could. Like, or do something in post, um, or just add in Prince of Darkness, or like, uh, <laughs> every time. Yeah, and just like distort the, the sound, you know, make <laughs> it a little demonic sounding. Zverev. Yeah, we could. It's a lot of effort. Yeah, it's you a know, lot of I effort. I feel like we... We spend all this energy on this person and he's like such a downer, you know, yeah. that's, that's definitely a theme of the year. His, his terrible story and the fact that he's been relevant as a tennis player is obviously getting better, you know? Yeah. I think he just got like German sportsman of the year or something, which is wild. Way to go, Germany. Yeah. Did you also hear the news about Rafa today or yesterday? 
he got COVID. Yeah. 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 Rough comeback for him after injury. Hopefully he's not too bad. Like he doesn't get, he could just be mild COVID and then there's plenty of time to quarantine now. Yeah. And still be right for the Australian Open, right? Yeah, I think that's true, but it's, you know, because he's still clearly not in full match shape, it's going to, if if he's sick at all, it'll interrupt his training. And yeah, uh, I mean, people definitely are speculating that it might affect his ability to, to come to Australia for the, for the AO, yeah. but yeah. yeah, we shall see. The women's game was excellent this year. I mean, we were raving about it at multiple times. Seems so much more open, so many more personalities. Yeah. I just remember the US Open being spectacular, but maybe that's maybe that's a little bit of recency bias. Oh um, yeah. No, I was I was my two memories were gonna be like not the not the US Open, but you just reminded me how much we enjoyed that tournament. That was so fun. But my big things were um Krajikova's double at the French Open. Mm. I was I was quite invested in her in the French Open. I thought like it's really great to see a doubles specialist burst onto the scene and win a whole slam as their first tournament. Um, as well, I think she, yeah, I think she may have won a minor tournament on, in the lead up to French Open, but, um, yeah, she really burst onto the scene in the French and then won the doubles as well with Siniakaba mm-hmm. and Ash Barty winning Wimbledon being in Australia around, like there was a lot of hype around that and. That was fun. Yeah, I went on those rides. The women's uh, <clears throat> women's finals was great. Oh. I loved watching it at the high altitude. I know this is more recency bias, but the high altitude tennis just looked amazing to watch. Like it was so, you could even see how much poppier and quicker everything was happening. It was just, it was kind of cool to see that happening on for a WTA tournament where, you know, usually right. the rallies are slower and and things like that in general, but in, in, in Guadalajara, it was just wild to see it like just pinballing around and, and everyone step up to that. And Paolo Bedosa coming out of nowhere this year and just sort of mm. maintaining it all the way to the end of the year. That was cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Who else women's burst onto the scene or had a career years like on Shabur had a career year. She got into the top 10 for the first time. Yeah, the the Raducanu invocation paid off. Raducanu, 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 earth ball low and moon ball high, living surface sacrifice, bull and wolf and mountain cat from dirt to plant and plant to dirt, live and die, live and die, Raducanu, Raducanu, Raducanu. And uh, she won a grand slam, amazingly, even though it seems like... I don't know. I don't know where she's at now. I feel like the couple times I checked in on her since she was getting pasted, you know, in some lower level tournament. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, that run was pretty amazing. And same with Layla Fernandez. It's easy to forget. <laughs> I get uh, Andrescu vibes from uh, Radicano. Oh, interesting. In a in a term in terms of like career trajectory. Yeah. Yeah get just popping out young she's obviously younger but not that much younger i think than uh andreska when she won comes out yep. wins us open wins the first major seemingly out of nowhere and then hasn't really backed it up yet changed andreska didn't do this but like changed her coach immediately afterwards which was a crazy thing i don't know whatever do what's best for you emma but that was 
seemed like a seemed like maybe at least finish the season off, you know, with this coach and then work out yeah. something of the opposite. Who knows? Whatever. She knows what's best for her, but that seemed like a yeah, and then in right. the tournaments since then she's just been knocked out in first rounds and second rounds. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I just I don't have much confidence that she's gonna back it up with another slam. Yeah. Um so hard to know like this yeah. the record is so short and she i mean one of the interesting things about her route is that she didn't have to beat a top 10 player right during that yeah, whole right. run so you know has she beaten anybody all that great did she get a little bit of luck i mean her play was sensational and she had looked sensational at wimbledon in limited sample size but right that kind of skyrocketing to fame thing can affect people and yeah the coach the the, the situation with her coach was interesting just because I don't know, like every armchair quarterback can say, yeah, it seems like bad form, but it does, right? Like it, you, you just reached the pinnacle. Yeah. So why would you change anything? With this person. I feel sorry <laughs> yeah. for the coach as well, because yeah. he wasn't, um, he wasn't a tour level coach. He was, you know, like, right. He's this, he hasn't had experience at the top. And I think he was like, kind of like a juniors coach. That's yeah, why but I either read. is she. So, like, who is she to talk? <laughs> I know. That's why I would have liked to see it. Like, well, you both came up from nowhere. Like, this yeah. coach is nobody. Yeah. But, like, hey, why don't we see where we can go with this? Like, I think Radikanu and her team talked about the fact that he doesn't know the WTA. Like, there's, like, a lot of other coaches out there who are all aware of the ins and outs and the intricacies of the other top players. So they could right. give valuable information to Radikanu and say, hey, you know, Paola Bedosa plays like this, Serena Williams plays like this, and I, I've seen them play and I know how to coach you against those players. But I don't care. I would have loved to see just them go on the journey together. Yeah. And yeah, it, it feels like, you know, you you reach this unexpected height and then all of a sudden people are like, yeah, but you're not really professional yet. Like you have to kind of do these things, tick these boxes, have right. the right kind of coach, the right, you know, do it this way. And I think that could be part of what disrupts a player's trajectory because she was playing so free, uh, you know, and now now the expectations are there in a totally different way. And that's that's going to follow her. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah. And immediately after winning U.S. Open, she's got like endorsements by some fashion labels, Evie on water, so like Louis Vuitton or something. She's on the cover of all these fashion going to the Met Gala and stuff. It's just like. All right, mate. Like, this, let's just zoom out for a second. You've won one tournament on the, on the tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a way to put it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, Emma, you've only won once. Like, let's not well, no, get like, too big of a head. I'm, I'm excited for her, and I hope it all pans out. But just to go, like, at a 17 or whatever she is, endorsed by all these high, totally. high, visual, visually, like, globally reaching high-level brands change your coach up it's just like well, how much disruption can you do to your career in one go let's try it Emma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty much the extreme case i would definitely go to the met gala though if i was hurt <laughs> <laughs> i would definitely like get a great yeah. outfit and go like that would be awesome yeah rub shoulders with uh alexandria ocasio cortez and you know naomi osaka just like be amongst all the big shots, right? It's an opportunity. Mean, that's Layla the thing. These, opp these opportunities. Layla went too. They, these are opportunities that just weren't open to this person before. You know, she was like taking her A levels 
you know, that year, I think, right? I yeah, think that was so, something like that. It's crazy. Um, speaking of Andreescu, I'm, you know, I think I'm just perpetually going to be on the roller coaster with her. I, I mean, we've, we've talked at length about, you know, it's like, depending on when she comes up, it's like, ah, uh, maybe, maybe she's coming back. Like Miami, she went on that run to the final and she played Barty and she got hurt. Yeah. And she looked sensational and she had these epic battles and it was all dramatic and fun and inspiring. And then she just doesn't look that good in the lesser tournaments and... I don't have a lot of faith right now. And I know she pulled out of the AO citing a, a need for like a mental recharge, which, you know, it's funny because I, I read that and I was like, she's probably not vaccinated. That's that's like, but that, I don't know if that's fair. I mean, it's not fair because I have no fucking idea. And she probably could use a recharge. Um, yeah, I wonder. You know, she's, she, what is she, 21 years old, 22 years mm -hmm. old. She's like gone through COVID like as a champion all these injuries, like it might take a while. Um, but yeah, it kind of seemed like something, something's missing there. Like something came, a little bit of the sharpness came off the edge, you know? Yeah, totally. Jen Brady also withdrew from the AO for some reason. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. She's been out for ages though with injury, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't seem too strange from her, but she was a finalist, right? She was a finalist at the AO. Yeah. Um, and, um, Plishkova just pulled out of the AO as well. So I think, you know, we're, we're seeing a bunch of withdrawals. Yeah. Did she like, uh, injured her wrist hitting with Paolo Bedosa, I think. Oh. <laughs> yeah. In the warm, just in training. Paolo literally hit her off the court. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> that. Imagine how you feel down the other end of it. You just hitting, obviously she did something on her end to not hit properly or whatever, but you'd still feel down the other end. Like, yeah, I just took you out of the tournament because of how hard I hit. <laughs> This is why you get amateurs. Even if it's not true. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was Wimbledon having a roof for the first time and making all the grass super dewy and slippery. Remember that? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the uh, the living surface claiming all of its victims. Yeah. Serena Williams hasn't played since the grass uh, consumed her. And apparently yeah. she also is uh, has pulled out of Australia. Mm. So she's not ready to come back yet. Um yeah, I was thinking about Tsitsipas on clay, getting to the French Open final, taking two sets off of Novak, and then it seems like ever since then. And learning the bathroom trick. <laughs> learning the bathroom trick. Yep, our our uh, bathroom side interview with uh, with Stephanos, you know. Yeah, well, it was that the, match that he learned it, right? Oh, from Novak. Yeah. Uh I see. In that in that match when he was when he was two sets up and then Novak went to the bathroom and then came back and won the next three sets. And then Sitsipas was like, fuck, that's it. I'm doing it every single match I ever play from now on. I almost <laughs> yeah. won Roland Garros final if it wasn't for that bathroom. <laughs> it's so funny. Like Stefanos totally seems like the sort of person who would just like make a strategic decision to do something like that and then be overly committed to it, even though the returns are like, Oh, well, suddenly all your fans hate you and um you know, like it's not actually working all the time. That's exactly like... what he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he did. Um, and then Novak came to his defense in the end. And they, he pushed it. He pushed it so far that you know people have been doing this the whole time, but they just do it here and there. But City Bass pushed it so far that he forced right. ATP to bring in a rule. <laughs> oh, did they make a rule? <laughs> they find, a rule they made, actually made a rule. 
What's the, do you know what the specifics are? I can't remember, but there's a time limit. I can't remember. There's a time limit from like, okay. This, it's a, the stipulation is something like once you get to the bathroom, you have this amount of time. If you're changing clothes, like they don't count the time walking from the court to the bathroom. It's like time in the bathroom okay. and it has to be for a change of clothes. It can't, if you don't go in and don't change any clothes, like you basically get no time. It's like, it's a really short amount of time, but there's like, there's some, you know, there's some guidelines around now. So it's like time limit for when you're in the bathroom and it has to be a full change of gear. That's why you're going there. And yeah, yeah something like that. But I can't remember what the actual time is. What if you have to drop a deuce? Yeah, what that's, what I, that's my question. Has anyone ever had to do that during a tennis match? I would like to know <laughs> of that. Of course they have. <laughs> <laughs> it must happen. Why are you saying that though? It must no. happen. What? Because it's, it's, we're human beings. Human biology. Of course someone's had yeah. to drop a deuce during But I think, I think it's like one of those things where like the adrenaline just shuts that part of your body down, you know? Maybe under normal circumstances, but... <laughs> Well, I do think that uh, a lot of the time that happens and the body doesn't need to go as badly. I think it's more like, oh, I ate something bad last night and like I'm a little oh, jacked yeah. up today and it's just not really fully in my control anymore. Yeah, true. <laughs> it, it's That's a good point because yeah. it goes to what we were saying about um, being like that there never being an off season for tennis and you just always need and playing tournament after tournament, day after day. Sure, like sometimes your body does, you know, knows that it, needs to not go to the toilet. I never use that saying, uh, didn't someone need to drop, what if someone needs to drop a juice? Like, I know what you mean from context, but it must be more of an American saying. It's like a number two, like deuce is in number two. And it's like, yeah, I, I get it. But like, I just never hear it in <laughs> like it common parlance in <laughs> Australia. Yeah. I feel like it's like a, you know, a schoolboy. Thing that I would have learned in the eighties. Yeah. Little, little colorful turn of phrase for the old number two of which there are many. <laughs> the old number two. <laughs> Let's please not go through them all. There. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we could have an urban dictionary <laughs> dramatic reading. Um, I was actually, so I was going back and listening to the, um, the, uh, God episode, the, uh, the lost God episode, Matt, the interview I did with Callie. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of funny because I think part of why I never released it is like, I had like some banter from you and me from like, there was like a random tournament in Europe where Ash Barty won a Porsche, but she wasn't allowed to drive the Porsche because she's sponsored by Jaguar <laughs> Yeah, and, and none of this has anything to do with religion at all. Yeah. But it like, it was somehow like part of the way I had edited it and, um, but the conversation with Callie is really great and I, great. I want to actually ship it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. How do you, how do you guys feel about, about God? You, uh, with, with, maybe we'll release it on Christmas day. The religion episode. Yeah. Any thoughts about, about God and sports? Do you, do you believe in God, Al? <laughs> I don't. No, I don't. Um, okay. I mean, me neither. Yeah. I love, um. I love the idea though, cause it's such fertile ground cause you know, like in just a lot of people have strong views about it. Andre Agassi has a strong view in his book about Michael Chang. Oh yeah. Um, always invoking God and like, and when he, when Chang would win, you know, he would think it was a present from God and Agassi would be like, who, who are you? You know, why does he care about you specifically? You know, why would God? You know, and just thought that was a bit um, rich from Jack. And 
Yeah, there's definitely like an arrogance surrounding athletes who invoke God as if somehow God is giving them special powers. But, um, you know, this is something, yeah, Callie and I got into quite a bit, you know, just the way belief in a higher power probably helps these elite athletes who live incredibly strange and isolated lives. And they have these gifts that other people around them don't possess. And like, it must be hard to kind of reckon with all of that. And, um, it's so present in sports. I, I actually think in a lot of ways, it seems less on the surface in tennis than, um, you know, than a lot of like American team sports, you know, I've been watching a lot of NBA lately and the number of dudes with Jesus, God tattoos, you know, and like the frequency at which God is invoked in a post-game interview. It's, um, it's interesting. It's just interesting. Cause I don't think it's representative of the society at large. Um, and I, yeah, the athletes just uh, have a, have an interesting relationship with spirituality and yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic to dig into. I think like, uh, meditation and yoga and stuff like that. <clears throat> is quite a big part of like athletes quite quietening their mind and becoming mind and body working together. Um, and there's an element of spirituality in that stuff. Um, to even if you're, yeah. And there's in yoga, they often say it doesn't, you don't need to believe in God, but just think of it, make it make sense for you. So if athletes, tennis players are getting yeah. into that kind of stuff, there is, they are trying to create a space for themselves that is kind of spiritual that they can get into the zone with. Right. It, it's, it's interesting because there is, there's like a crossover there, especially as mental training has become more common and mindfulness techniques in particular seem to be yeah, like much more widespread or, you know, well understood and adopted, like as a way for players and a multitude of sports to center themselves, get grounded, stay in the moment, not lose focus. And, um, yeah, much like meditation generally, like it can have a very spiritual, you know, component, but it can also like, it can also just be used as a tool, you know, like it's, it's science. It's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, we're investing in this particular type of medicine, uh, to help our, you know, our athletes perform at higher levels. Like there's, there's a capitalist force operating on, on this stuff. You know, it's, it's not all purely spiritual, purely searching for meaning. That's what we would like to believe. That's what like the dream is that if you will it to be so to you know all the work and you know the plot lines of films you know when a, a kid from poor neighborhood tries their best and gets to the top would have you believe that there is some kind of higher power working and it's about goodness and in intention and stuff that can get you there but yeah as you just point out like it's most of the tennis players, it's about the resources they have access to, and that's far more determinant by how good a player you can be. Right, which is why you got to start lessons young, Al. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just put all your put all your savings into the kids' <laughs> career. But put the racket in their hand, 
as soon as they have motor control. Oh yeah, that will be in there. We got a tiny one, so they can start it off real, real early. What does Roisin think about your plan? No, she's into, it's not like I'm going to be Andre Agassi sad. Like, I'm not going to be actually like, you have to play tennis. <laughs> but I've said that, like, you know, it would be funny if they could, if he could play tennis. And she's like, she's fine all about it. Cool. I want him to like, I can't wait till he's old enough so I can actually smash him. You know, like <laughs> when he's like a teenager and we can play competitively and we can both play properly and be like, let's both play our hardest and I'm going to beat you. <laughs> right until yeah until it flips yeah until that's right yeah yes which will be i'd love that i think i'm gonna love that day but i'm it's not gonna i'm not gonna give it to him <laughs> well you could probably start smashing him like as soon as he can hold a racket yeah and, well that's you know, no fun just, I, have uh... to, I have to recognize the point where they're competitive <laughs> and be like all right now it's on <laughs> there's a moment like my dad talks about um the moment he used to run against his his dad and the the day that he ran faster than his own father it was a very sad day for him oh yeah right that's interesting was his father like a really dedicated runner no i think he was just they were quite sporty both of them quite decent at sports and they liked to run against each other or something and and the dad was always better you know always faster and stronger but then there was one day when it flipped and the son was stronger than the father and then that was um, a realization, I guess, of mortality and that yeah. he was no longer a god. The father was no longer a god and that he was right. he was fallible when he was mortal. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I have like, I have a personal story that's sort of the reverse of that, the inverse of that, where when I was a little boy, my father and I would race down the street and he would let me win. And then suddenly he didn't let me win. <laughs> And I was totally crestfallen and defeated. Um, you know, I think, I mean, it says something about my general resilience as, as a child, you know, in development. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't like, oh yeah, duh, of course. But it also perhaps it says something about like the risk of going too easy on your kids, you know, or yeah, like yeah. letting them think that they're in control, right? My kids not win it until he wins. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you'll let him hit the ball. Yeah, yeah, but I'll just keep uh, just staying ahead, just a little, just a little, so I can the carrot, keep the carrot dangling. <laughs> right. Yeah, Molly and I have been talking about like getting her kids into like more, you know, getting them deeper into new activities, and it's it's hard to make that commitment, especially and they're they're at an age where they're just, I mean, they're very easily distracted. Yeah. They just get excited about new things all the time, and it's like, okay, like the youngest one wants to play violin for some reason he doesn't want to play the keyboard he doesn't want to learn an easier instrument it's got to be the mm. violin and it's like okay well nobody's buying you a violin that's not happening <laughs> like you got to like take lessons and show a commitment but since neither one of us can play an instrument at that level molly's more musical than i am so she she probably can actually help a little bit it's like how do you how do you cultivate it without just like forcing them into class all you know like over and over again mm. um you know, it's, it's easier. Like I feel confident in my ability to like help them learn about computers and software and programming and video games and, you know, or to get interested in sports in the way that I'm interested in sports, but not, um, yeah. Like to the, even the idea of like having one of them play sports competitively, 
like at a high school level seems daunting to me, you know, like you have to show up to practice. You got to care enough to go and put some time in. I think violin's know? actually a bit easier because I remember learning music without my parents. Hmm. My parents weren't musically involved or whatever. I just did lessons. And then you sort of, it sort of becomes a thing that you just want to get better at yourself and you keep picking up harder and harder pieces of music to try and master and learn and read and, and play. It's sort of, it's sort of like a self propelling individual hobby, actually, I think even, even without, even if your parents are cool. like totally oblivious to what, how hard it is or, or try, they can't really help you improve or whatever, but you, you can, you can propel yourself along pretty hard if you're actually invested. Right. It's like getting, like, I guess I always bounced off musical instruments, but I'm mostly, I mean, like, I think I took piano at five mm. and hated it. And then I like took, you know, guitar lessons when I was 17 or something. Yeah. And it was just, there was like a physical barrier for me. Like I couldn't do a bar chord easily. Yeah. And so I would, you know, so I just would struggle with it. And I couldn't get to that point where it was like, oh, I can actually just, I get it and I can learn another song and I can kind of drive myself like it, there's a bit of a learning yeah, curve totally. um but maybe it, it's actually better as a young person to to learn that yeah. stuff so that it's it's more open yeah, for sure. yeah 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 i think like maybe for that age as well it's like getting in a band can, or like maybe listening to some music and finding out which bands you like and and then like the excitement of like with your friends you could form your own band and like create your own style um yeah and then you're forced to have to try and get good on your inch or choose an instrument and get good on that instrument. And you, uh, you'll just take them, take if he's trying to play the violin, take him to see some orchestras and stuff like that. That's the thing. Cause I remember seeing an orchestra for the yeah, first right. time. I was like, mind blown. I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. This is absolutely amazing. That, yeah, I, I think, I think if he's interested in violin, seeing that live would just blow his tiny little mind. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I was thinking like I'd show him Revenge of the Nerds or something. That was like as far as I got with the like violin exposure. Did you, did you play violin as a kid, Al, or any string instruments? No, I started learning trombone a bit and then it was like drums and bass guitar and stuff like that. But I, I would have loved to have played a violin or a fretless thing, like a cello like that. Um, but yeah, mm. I even for yourself, just to go to see an orchestra at a concert hall would be so enjoyable and for him. Sure. Yeah, I remember just going to see it for the first time and I was like losing it after they chewed up. I was like, that was sick. And everyone's like, they just chewed up. And I was like, well, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's a great idea. I'll I'll take that under advisement for mm. sure. That sounds like a great it's thing to do with good the night kids. out, yeah, totally. Did you see, have you listened to the latest tennis podcasts, the review ones? No. No, the review, oh, their year-end yeah. reviews? I haven't. Um, are they good? Yeah, well, in one of them, they were talking about David got really excited about the idea of how good it would be to listen to Medvedev's inner monologue. And I feel like we've already done that or already went down that path. And David was like, oh my God, that's such a crazy, great idea for this. And I was like, oh, get out of it. <laughs> oh, I, I did hear them talk about that. I did listen to that one. Yeah. Right. Because everybody still loves Medvedev for like the idea of who he was at the US Open that year when he like went crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he hasn't really been that guy. Well, didn't at Davis Cup, didn't, wasn't he that guy again? Yeah, I can't, I was trying to think of what he did exactly, but he was a bit, yeah. He was, um, he was kind of taunting the crowd, the Spanish yeah, crowd yeah. when, he, when oh, okay. they beat Spain. I missed that. Yeah, he kept, he kept yeah. going back to like, uh, the on-court interviewer would ask some question and he would just totally ignore the question or whatever and just be like, 
the greatest part of this week was just beating Spain at home in front of all you people. <laughs> that was the, my favorite thing of this whole week. And the, the question was totally not about that at all. He was like, he just kept cutting them off and being like, I just loved beating you here in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy for the team to, to be in the final. Uh, I mean, amazing week, amazing two weeks so far for us. Beating Spain was the highlight. I think beating Spain in Madrid was really, uh, for all of us, we were so happy in the locker room to beat uh, the home the home favorites. It was a really nice feeling, and I'm really happy about it. I, miss, I hope that Medvedev shows up more. Yeah. I, I enjoy him, but it's, yeah, it's like, I don't love him. Yeah. You know, I don't like crave Medvedev matches. Yeah, I should listen to those. Uh, I subscribe to their new thing. Oh yeah, which is interesting. It's it's interesting because it seems like most of the stuff I already get value from is free. Right. So I kind of wonder if they're almost like shortchanging themselves by not kickstarting because, or by not locking more content away. Because I actually don't really care that much about like tennis relived and a lot of their extra yeah. stuff. Like I want the I want the dailies. Yeah. I want the like week week in week out what's happening on tour stuff. That's my favorite. Yeah, so. What is on that that side relived and stuff like that is that's what they've got it locked. Yeah, yeah, and some special like listener Q, you know, like subscriber Q and As and things like that. And um, oh, d did I ever tell you guys that I like wrote them a letter after the U.S. Open? Uh, episode yeah. to tell them to ask them to listen to the tennis tragedy. Oh, yeah, never uh, got a response. Okay. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Which you know, it's fair. Well, uh, we'll keep. But... We'll keep. We just need to keep making good content, and the the tennis podcast will notice us at some point. Recognize. Yeah. They'll be like, like, That's recognize, right. like. <laughs> right, because we'll Greatness. just be such an like a part of the tennis culture landscape that they can't ignore <laughs> us anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I did become a pet subs uh, like a pet subscriber, so I'm gonna have a pet mascot <laughs> this year f with Bagel. Oh, oh that's but, great! Yeah, but maybe I could rename Bagel the tennis tragic <laughs> or something. <And laughs> that's, I love that. That's a great like. That's how you get advertising. That's like guerrilla advertising. There, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you all enjoy the the Aussie summer, and yeah, hopefully we can talk. Or is it remind me when the kids do out? 12th of Jan. Okay. Yeah, right in the middle so, of it. So, does tennis start before New Year's there? I think just after or on New Year's Day. It's like ATP Cup. It's like on New Year's Day. And then ATP Cup rolls into like the Sydney International, which is the same venue, I think. And then I think everyone... Right. I think, I think after the ATP Cup, you can either go and play the Sydney warm-up event or there's like one down in Melbourne. And then I think they both roll into the Oz Open. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Which starts cool. on which day? I'm not sure. January 17th. Yeah, okay. So that makes sense. So a ATP Cup, warm-up event, holes open. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, I'd love to watch some of the ATP Cup. Hopefully I catch some of that. Maybe maybe we'll have a chat about yeah. it if things aren't too hectic for you, Al. And uh, yeah, we'll see how we go. The Tennis Tragic thanks you for listening. All correspondence and feedback can be directed to tennistragicpod at gmail.com and our Instagram is at tennistragicpod.com